there's something that I love about the Bible, and that is that when you read the Bible, you are oftentimes transported into a present time in their life, which is our past. Okay? So we're looking at their present when we look at the narrative of Jesus. It's what's happening right then, so we know it's a book about right then. But it also is a book about their history and the history of their nation and the history of all the promises that are composed there and everything that was foundation, all the mistakes and flaws, all the pieces are present. But it's also a book that when we look to it, it tells us about what's yet to come. And so it has a little bit of everything with regard to not everything that's in here has happened yet. Specifically this morning as we look into Mark chapter 1, we're going to find a picture of Jesus in the present moment reminding a group of people about their past, but also instructing them about the right now. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse number 14. And when we get there, if you would stand in honor of God's word. Mark chapter 1, verse number 14. The scripture reads this way. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the, bro- the son of Zebedee, excuse me, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father. Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we looked at the scriptures and we're reminded that you came proclaiming a very bold and powerful message, one that is easy for us to glaze over. And then you gave us a strong invitation to come right after you. I praise that, just, just praise you that you have the, the willingness to invite the flawed nature of humanity to be part of your work. Lord, for each and every one of us bears, bears the mark of, of imperfection. But because of you, we can do so much more. And yet you invited these. And as a result, Lord, we, we believe that you invite us as well. We ask that as we follow you, Lord, that we honor you and we glorify you. And that you, Lord, that you would receive all the praise as a result. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a lot to happen, and if you're not familiar with the tone and the pace that's set in the gospel according to Mark, a bigger Bible study piece for you, it's a rapid gospel, and he uses the word immediately, frequently. It's constantly there where it's p- pumping in this little bit of instruction for us to see the next thing. On this moment, it says, now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. A really cool thing happens, and if you know anything about John, you'll understand that John was described as the forerunner, meaning that he was supposed to lay a groundwork that told the world that Jesus was going to be, the, be there. And then it, it, you see this picture of John doing his thing and then getting off of the center stage, not in a way that most of us would like to be taken off of this, the center of the stage, but nonetheless, and then Jesus emerges front and center, and immediately you see this word of his preaching. But what is he preaching? 
It says that he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, when we talk about the gospel, we talk about the good news of Jesus. Oftentimes, when we talk about it, we're talking about the whole picture of his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is just talking about the relationship that mankind can have with God, this, this picture of God's kingdom. But he says something phenomenal in his words. If you're fortunate enough to have a Bible that has red letters, you know that when Jesus begins to speak that it's captured in the red. And verse 15 says that as he preaches this message and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And we can glaze right over it because it kind of feels like this floral, kind of flowery church language that we use frequently. We're talking about this picture of, of course, kingdom of God and, you know, repent and believe. And we're like, but there's so much packed into this that if you were listening to Jesus in the ears of people who were standing in his midst, living in a, in a Hebrew culture, growing up right there, you would have known something was very different about this message. Well, first and the foremost, he talks about the time being fulfilled. Now, most of us in this place, we, we have this growing sensation of the passing of time in our life. And if you ask people in this audience, and I would tell you that I feel like I'm, I'm getting older, and most of you are like, you're not old yet. You know, and there's an audience in here that is like not even by a long stretch, right? But when I was 25 and I would say I was getting older, people really thought that was funny. It's not as much funny now that I'm in my 40s. People don't think the same thing is true. Some of you are teenagers and you're like, man, I've just got into a place where I can drive now. Man, time is passing. I've been alive and driving longer than I was not driving in my life. And for some of you, it's by multiplies. I mean, multipliers now. You're thinking twice and three times as long driving as not driving. But the picture is, is that time is this, this concept of us where we're looking at it and it, we have a personal perspective on it. August comes around and school begins and we're thinking, man, another school year. And then we look up and it's Christmas. And now we're past that. And most of the people in this room are thinking, downhill, May will be here before you know it and then it'll be summer again. And it does this thing, time, where it just is always moving by. It is a river that is happening constantly and we're just in it. Jesus begins to proclaim that he talks about that this fullness of time is happening. He's talking about the hopes and, and aspirations of all the Old Testament promises. There's a beautiful number of promises laid out in the Bible, Old Testament. Now, I don't know about you. Are you good at keeping promises? I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I really want you to be good at keeping promises. Some of you are smiling big because you know somebody that's sitting next to you might not be good at keeping any promises, right? The Bible is filled with promises. It's filled up to the brim with promises. And you know the beautiful part about the promises that happen in the Old Testament? They are fulfilled one after the next, constantly being fulfilled, always being fulfilled. More promises in the Old Testament have been fulfilled, and a fistful have yet to be fulfilled, but we have every expectation that based on the track record of promises that have already come to pass, that the rest that are out there will absolutely be fulfilled. I mean, the track record is amazing. Prophecies about Jesus, about his birth, about his coming, about his being, about his teaching, about his character, about his life, fulfilled. And he talks about this and he says, the time is fulfilled and he's pointing back at all those promises. He's saying, turning point in history. 
change of things to come, right now, this is different, fulfilled. And you're like, man, the time is fulfilled. Everything you've been waiting for. You know, some of you had the opportunity last week, and I was kind of hard last week on, on the audience about, you know, TV and on sports games that happened during church and all that, right? And some of you are like, you don't have to go back there. You know, one of the things that I have learned from watching enough sports in my life, what happens to the athletes that win the game? They oftentimes immediately they'll say, we're going to come right back here next year and win another one because it's not fulfilling enough to win one. And you're like, you're supposed to be like, and all of us that have never gotten to that point in our lives with that much success, we're like, but shouldn't that fill you up? Shouldn't that excite you? Shouldn't that be enough for you just to coast off into the sunset? And most of them were like, no, I'm hungry. I got to have another one. If it were not this way, certain quarterbacks throughout history would not have gone back and gotten enough rings that they have to use two hands to hold them all. Jesus is telling the people, the time is fulfilled, and he's like, there's actually a fulfilling moment here that will actually be substantial to you. It'll be more than these hollow victories that we celebrate in our lives. And it, it is this resonant signpost at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark. And he says, the next part, and I love it, he says, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Point number one, if you have your card with you and you want to follow along is the kingdom of God is within reach. When it talks about it being at hand, he's talking about it being nearby, being right here. Any of you ever have that moment when you go to your garage or maybe even to where you keep, maybe it's a, maybe it's a pantry or a drawer in your house where you keep some tools and you go to look for a tool and somebody else has used it and it's not there? And, I mean, and I, I might actually do this, and I'm a little bit, you know, off-center sometimes because I'm, like, looking at my tools, and I go to reach in, and I'm, like, it's not there. Like, and I'm, like, trying to will it back where it's supposed to be. And then I will immediately jump to the conclusion that I have moved it. No, that's not what I do. I will immediately jump to the conclusion that somebody else has moved it because I'm good enough to put my tools back, Right? out of reach. So many of the things that we want in life seem like they're out of reach. But Jesus said that the time is right, it's completely fulfilling, and it's within reach. The kingdom is right here. I mean, this message is going to change the landscape of humankind. And this is the very first bit when he's preaching. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, I, I read this great story. Patrick Dempsey's a pilot He's, he's on a commuter flight, a pretty routine flight, and there's a noise on the plane. And so he turns over controls to his co-pilot. He gets up. He leaves the cockpit. He heads back into the plane. He gets to the very back tail section of the plane, and he hears it. And he realizes that the door is not secured. About that time, they hit a little pocket of air, some turbulence, and he is slammed up against that door that is not secured, and he is sucked out of the plane. The warning signal goes off in the cockpit, and the, the co-pilot is like, you know, mayday, 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 we need to come down. Pilot just exited the plane. And he's like, send a helicopter to search. He's over the ocean, over this area. Brings that thing down. Ten minutes later, finds a runway to land. 
crews come out to inspect the plane, and there's Patrick Dempsey clinging to the ladder on the back of the plane, 12 inches from the ground, holding on for dear life. It's good for him that that ladder was within hand's reach. They said it took him several minutes to pry his hands from the plane because they were so death-gripped on it. And he, he survives. And I think that's the picture of salvation in the midst of this story that Jesus is telling us, that, that it is not something that's far away. You are being literally evacuated from this culture and this life by, by the mistakes that you make. And if it were not for God being right there at hand to offer you the kingdom that you could hold on to, you would be swept away forever gone. And there's this moment. And he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Within arm's reach. If you doubt in this place today, if you, if you wonder in this moment if God listens to you or if he is so far away that he can't hear you or that you can't be possibly invited in, know that Jesus made it very clear from the very beginning when he starts preaching that it's right here and it's close. It's within reach. It's not so far away from you that you have to accomplish some level of ranking up or accomplishment. You don't have to win all the games and you don't have to beat all the opponents. You just have to reach out for him. He says it's right here. And then he tells us something else. One, just one word, repent. You're like, yeah, 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 we've heard this before. But the question is, is what have you done with it? You know, point number two, if you're following along, taking notes this morning, our behavior is expected to change. I don't know about you, but if you weren't aware that if Jesus is telling us that the time is now, and that it's right here in front of us that we think that we should just do whatever we want to do and that'll be okay. I think that some of us are like, no, hang on, wait a minute. We should change, right? I don't know about you, but there's an attitude of change in the world around us whenever an authority figure walks in. I can remember one time filling in at a, at a in the classroom and I'm substitute teaching and, and the students were actually doing an outstanding job working feverishly on something. It must mean that they understood it before I got there because I sure didn't teach it to them. But they're just working feverishly away and the principal walks in, he opens the door and he's kind of looking at me like, what is going on in here? Like I didn't expect it to be quiet. But usually when the principal walks in, everybody's like, oh no. Trust me, the teachers do it too. They're like, uh oh, the principal's here. Or when your boss comes in. Or men, when you got your earbuds in and your parent opens your door and you don't realize they're standing there for a few seconds, you stand up and look. You know what I'm talking about, this moment where we're like, I'm caught. There's a moment in the scriptures when we look to it and we understand the magnitude that Jesus is telling us something about this timing and this proximity, it ought to change our behavior. It ought to call us to want to do things differently. And this repentance is turning away from the things that we've been doing to do something else. I don't know about you, but there's too much, and I say this unashamedly, there's too much in our world where the world is expecting the Bible to shift and change to it, but the Bible is constantly being proclaimed to us that it ought to shift us and change us, and that's the way it should be. Instead of us accepting the thing that is, we should change. And I challenge you to hear Jesus' words. And then he says this, and I love this piece. He says, and believe in the gospel. And there's the culmination of all the things. Now, I know I asked a minute ago if you were good at keeping promises, and now I'm going to put it to the test here. 
Can you remember a time where you made a promise to somebody and you broke it? I can't. Now, I will tell you, I'll be the first person to tell you. Here's a little pastoral advice for you. If you have ever broken a promise to somebody and you know you have, and you haven't gone to them and told them that you're sorry, you should do that. And all of God's people said, I know you're kind of like, I know I should. Jesus is looking into an audience and he's telling them to believe. And what he's telling them is everything that you've been told up till now that's part of this, that's part of this book, believe it. You're starting to falter and you're starting to waver and you're starting to crumble a little under the pressure because the culture around you and because it's been so long since there's been a move of God and you don't know if you can trust this anymore and he's leaning in and he's saying, believe it. Believe all of it. Believe it. And there's something about us when we hold this book that we can either say we believe every line of it or we can say it's a good story. And I think that the world is sliding into it's a good story. And I'm telling you, he's saying believe every line of the gospel. Not part of it. Not the part that's convenient or the part that fits well in your friends or the part that, that makes it possible for you to be conveniently comfortable. Point number three in your outline. All of the promises of the Bible are trustworthy. Well, that leads me to tell you that the magnitude of this is, is, is really important. If everything in the Bible is trustworthy, then Jesus said that he's coming again. That's exciting. Why? Because he's got an impeccable track record of things that have already been said about him being real. He has a, a formidable track record of every word coming out just the way that it's supposed to. And the confidence in it is inspiring. Well, he launches off from this moment where he has told them, the time is now, it's right here in reach, you need to change, and as a result, you need to continue to believe in everything that's been promised. And then he does this thing where he looks at the audience and he invites them into a story, a story that you know well. He's walking along, verse number 16, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother. And I love this picture. I love this picture. Yeah. He leans in and he doesn't get one, but he gets two of them, right? He sees them together. And he's not afraid to invite them both to the thing. He doesn't pick one over the other. He sees these two brothers and there's this moment. They're just about their work and they're just about doing what they do. It says, for they were fishermen. And I, and I love the way that that reads out. He sees them, they're casting their nets, and he says that they were fishermen, and I want to challenge you here to see this. I like that it says they were fishermen because in the, you know, the time that Jesus was, they were fishermen. But I also love that there's kind of a sensation of, is that a past tense? Because their life is about to be changed forever because of Jesus' interaction with them. They had been fishermen until this moment. And I want you to hear me very clearly on this next point. Whenever Jesus says something about you, whenever God Almighty, whenever he dictates something in the scriptures about a, a, a group of people or a person, at that moment it becomes truth. It's not up for debate. 
He, he says about parents at times in the scripture that have no children, well, you're going to bear a son. And at that moment, in my estimation, that's when they become parents, the moment that God decrees it. Because God's will is perfect in this moment, as it should always be. And when he looks to them and he calls them, he invites them to do something. Now, what I think is outstanding is, is that week after week, we stand on the stage and in the presence of an audience that's supposed to be you know, embracing these scriptures, we talk about verses like this where Jesus is inviting us to do something that will forever change the course of our lives. We oftentimes think of it as for somebody else. We don't oftentimes think of it as for us. But Jesus leans in. He looks at these two and he's like, fishermen. No, fishers of men. And at that moment, something powerful happens because he says, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. Mm. Now this looks different. Now I don't know about you, but if you run the family business and you have been fishing, I mean, that's your whole life and that's how you make your livelihood. And so, you know, there's this moment where, where our, our savior leans in and says, I want you to do something different with your life what oftentimes happens is we say, can we do that on the side, Jesus, while we continue to do the thing we're currently doing? Man. Breaks my heart a little bit. And, you know, today's kind of an emotional day, and I don't know if you realize it, and some of you are kind of before into this, but Justin just led his last worship service with us. And some have leaned in and said, can you do what God has invited you to do and this? And I look at this pastor and I say, Jesus has invited him to do something else. And we ought to cheer him on to run it down. And we ought to say, go fish for men. And we ought to say, whatever do you need, can we help you? How can we support you? And we ought to just be like, God knows what he's doing. And Justin's listening to God and we're going to be okay. That's what we want. Not, can you do this and that? You see, they leave their nets. That's what it says, verse number 18. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And as a pastor, it's always really empowering and encouraging when you read the scriptures and you get pumped up about preaching it, or you preach the message, and then when people are like, man, I want to hold on to this. But most of what happens is, is people find reasons to disqualify it and not do it or find some way around it. Man, if it were that way with Simon and Andrew, this story is completely different. But they don't do that. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men, and their career changes. They immediately left their nets and followed him. What great thing is God inviting you to do that you need to be empowered for, to go and run it down and chase it down? Maybe stationed right here from this place to go and do it. I know people are like, man, Brother Ben, if you, if you continue to talk this way, you might run everybody out of here. And I'd say, praise God, if that's what he's asked us to do, then that's what we ought to do. I mean, if we came back next week and everybody's like, I can't come to church today because God has invited me to go sh share the gospel with lost people somewhere else, I'd be like, praise God. And you say, well, that's a hard way to have church. Man, it's hypocrisy, isn't it? Having our cake and eating it too, right? Verse number 19, the story's not over there. 
in your, in your outline if you're following along. We are called to be positionally in line with Jesus. That's the only place we're called to be. That's where you should want to be. Positionally, you should want to be in line with Jesus. You see that immediately Simon and Andrew do this. Verse number 19 says this. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them. They left their father, and it says they left their hired servants too. I don't know about you, but that seems like yesterday we worked for our dad, and today we follow Jesus. Yesterday we worked in the midst of a, of a company that had hired servants, and today we are the servants. That seems dramatic, doesn't it? But wow, what a story. What a story. What a life. Do you realize that because these four men and then a fistful of others decided to follow Jesus when he invited them in, that the world was forever altered. It was forever changed because a fistful of people said yes to Jesus when he said, follow me. That is the energy that this gospel presents. He says, right now, within reach, all the promises, follow me. But instead, what do we do? It's good for somebody else. It's good for those other people. I'm excited about the possibility in the future. What will God do next in our midst if we would but listen? You see, in this place, you could be just like that pilot thinking you have complete control and understanding of what's going on and you are checking out the noise that's happening in your head and heart right now. And as you're investigating it, you're realizing there's a door that's open. And if you're not real careful, when you hit that turbulence, it'll bump you right out. And if you don't reach out and grab a hold of God, you will be lost over the ocean of doubt, drowning in a sea of confusion and chaos. But if you will reach out and grab a hold, because it's within arm's reach, you might just make the landing. And then when people find you clamoring to the side of the ship, the vessel, the plane, they'll realize that your grip is so tight on that what saved you that it will be a work of progress to get you free of it. May we never let go of the salvation within us, within arm's reach. Today might be the day that you need to make a decision to grab a hold of Jesus. He's right here, right now, inviting you to be saved. We're going to stand in a minute, and I'm going to invite Justin to come, and he's going to play, and I'm going to ask Brandon to come as well and stand up here, and I'll be up here. And Boyd usually hangs out in the back, and you're welcome to talk with any of us about this today. But I would ask you today, did you realize that God is standing close to you, wanting to reach out to you and offer you the opportunity to have your life changed by forever because his promises are real? Would you stand with me today? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to be in your house. An opportunity to ask of you, where do you want me to stand? Not, how am I supposed to do that? But just to say, yes, Lord, and, and drop what we're doing and follow hard after you. And be single-minded about it. Lord, I ask for this, for each and every one of us in our hearts 
that we might cry out to you and ask you because we know you're right there and you're willing to let us hold on to you to be saved from this world. We ask for this in Jesus' name.